Good morning. It's Christmas time. Robin, Raymond, Helena, Aaron, uh, the Elder Fredericks, and some others made this happen. So thank you guys very much for that. Yes. We're going to be in God's Word today, and I just went to the children's director. She's my wife, and I said, hey, the service is going to be a little bit shorter, and she's like, you should have told me that sooner, and I was like, okay, but so I'm going to fill in some of the space today, because I have a short sermon, but that's actually not always the best thing. Uh, I want to let you know that as we're going to be in this text, this text in particular was the reason, the specific reason I wanted to teach through 1 John because of what God made known in this text. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read scripture, there are times where it's just coming alive afresh, new, in ways that I never expected it to happen before, not because uh, I haven't read it before, but because I have read it before, and where I am in my spiritual journey, all of a sudden, the words jump off the page. So if you're here, or if you're watching online, I'd encourage you to take notes, not just for takeaways at the end, but for your own spiritual well-being to be able to put into practice and obey what God tells us today through his word. All right, so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6. And I want us to, I want us to, uh, I want us to think about how John has, throughout this letter, if you've been with us, has been pointing us to how important belief in Christ is. And he's been using contrast. He's been using death and life. He's been using darkness and light. And today we're going to hear about belief and belief in, the wrong, belief in the right thing and belief in the wrong thing. Now it's officially December, and now it's officially uh, culturally acceptable to start to celebrate Christmas, even though in my household we were like middle of October, all right? And so Thanksgiving's happened, the calendar month has changed. And we start to decorate our homes, we start to have Christmas decorations everywhere, we start to, for some of us, listen to Christmas music, and so much fun that comes along with all of that. We love the Christmas season in the Riley household, and I'd love to say to you, the reason we love the Christmas season is because of eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. But that isn't necessarily the only reason we love the Christmas season. Now, we like the colder weather, we love lights on houses, we love the Christmas music, and we especially love the Christmas movies. Home Alone, Elf, Home Alone 2, Charlie Brown's Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Santa Claus, Spirited, Christmas with the Cranks, Miracle on 34th Street, and probably the most important Christmas movie of our generation, Die Hard where John McClane saves Christmas and the Nakatomi Plaza. But really, all jokes aside, Christmas time, and I said Christmas, Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, is a time that we as a culture celebrate and remember that God incarnate, God with skin, God the Son, born of the Holy Spirit and a virgin, came to make his dwelling among us. In his physical body where he was born and grew in the flesh and dealt with temptation and dealt with relationships, dealt with laughter and dealt with sadness. And baby Jesus grew up in stature and lived a perfect life in place of sinful man, doing nothing wrong and everything right. And his reward for mankind for living this perfect life was to be put on a cross, to die a sinner's death. 
Even though he knew no sin, yet he became sin for you and for me. And on the third day, woo-woo, he resurrected from the dead, defeating what sin had afforded all of us, which was death. That is the reason for the season, both that God came in the flesh as a baby, but that that baby grew up and did for you and I what we were unable to do for ourselves, which was live the perfect life that we could not. And so as we officially begin this Christmas season at COV, it is pretty cool that our passage today hints at and implies the necessity for our God, Jesus, to come in the flesh. So let's begin our study, not in the passage that was just read by Eric, but instead in a verse we concluded with two weeks ago, leading into the point that John is making today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands, John says, lives in him, in Jesus, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Our keeping of God's commands, our affections, think about this, Our want to do anything that God says comes from the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, the Holy Spirit gifted to reside in every Jesus-confessing Christian. And that is where John will take us today. And yet, he is also going to point out there is a difference between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of this world and honestly, everything in this life is, tries to help us be distracted from the fact that there's two different spirits at work. But John is going to once again contrast the spirit of God and the spirit of the evil one. And so John will explain what is true to contrast what is false or error. And we today not only will be challenged with what is true, but we will need to be challenged not to accept what isn't true as we take John's warning to heart. So verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Already then, John jumps into this, but don't overlook how John begins as he addresses his Ephesians brothers and sisters. He says, dear friends, I believe we can assume that his tone is not accusatory, but pastoral. It's loving, dear friends, people that John cares about, people John cares for, people that care for John. And through that affection, I believe he and even I today hope for us to not hear from a place of, listen, you ought to do better, but a loving warning of how easy it is to miss this incredibly important point about belief. Do not believe every spirit, John admonishes. In the context in which John is writing, the spiritual realm was very subjective based on cults and religions of the day. I'm so glad that's changed since. Spiritualism was what you wanted it to be, and ever since this, the spiritual realm, apart from Christ and the Holy Spirit, has been anything, if it has nothing to do with Jesus and the Spirit, it really is not the spiritual realm that we are believing in. So John says, do not believe in every spirit. Let me say that don't believe in every spirit for us today might also sound like don't believe everything that sounds spiritual. I think that's obvious for us today. When someone says that God is this tree, or that God's name is Father, Mother, that's my favorite. 
But what about when someone thinks they're quoting God, yet they're actually quoting Benjamin Franklin? Or when they think they're quoting the Bible, but it's not actually what the text says? I think that's what John is getting at. Not just the misuse of Scripture, but that all things said from the Spirit must have some type of measuring stick or decoder ring or test to show if what is being said is actually true or not. And what John is going to point out is how you can be sure if the Spirit is not from God, but also if the Spirit is from God. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, that's pretty easy, right? But why is the flesh so important? Why does John say whoever acknowledges that Jesus came in the flesh is from God? Don't we have a lot of people today outside of the church that wouldn't argue that Jesus was a real dude who lived about 2,000 years ago and taught some pretty revolutionary things, specifically about justice and women? Won't many people affirm that Jesus was a heck of a guy who was loving towards people like Mother Teresa was and left a real mark on society? Wouldn't all of those opinions about him mean that he came in the flesh? But why would you need the Holy Spirit to believe any of that? Well, you really don't. Because what John says is not just anyone who believes Jesus came in the flesh is someone who has the Spirit of God, but what does he say? He says every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Emphasis on the Christ. Christ is not his last name, just so we're clear. Jesus H. Christ, not from the Spirit of God, not his name. When someone says, uh, Jesus H. Christ, they are not talking about Jesus, who is the Christ. See, the Christ is his designation. Christ means Messiah, anointed one. He is divine, and he is of God, the Christ. In Acts 2, 36, as we studied Acts, we know about Pentecost. We know where Peter preaches at Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter testified about this eternal truth to those at Pentecost. And Luke writes that over 3,000 were cut to the heart. They responded in belief and repentance and were baptized. Why? Because we don't testify that Jesus is pretty great. We testify that he is greater than anything else we know. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord God Almighty in the flesh. And that truth is what brings dead people to life. So why does John stress this? Because the Holy Spirit knew that people were going to perverse this over and over and over again. Mike sent me a text and and he pointed out, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but Serenthus, the heretic in 100 AD, taught among other things that Jesus was an ordinary mortal upon whom Christ, a divine power, came at baptism and from whom it departed before his crucifixion. Well, that's convenient. This is similar. This is really what the Christian science people believe and what they proclaim. They say that Jesus, as a man who upon the Spirit of Christ came upon, the Spirit of Christ is the eternal one, and he came upon Jesus at his baptism, and then he left again before he died upon the cross. 
Jesus, therefore, was born as a mere man, and he died as a mere man. And the only part of his ministry that is worth anything to us is his public ministry of teaching when he was influenced by the Spirit of Christ. That's dog stuff, okay? This is also the false teaching of the Mormon church. They say that Jesus never was an eternal, unchangeable God in which we just sang, but he was a man who became God and came to show us how we, too, might become gods someday. I don't know about you, but I would suck at being God. Is that the gospel? He meant for himself, not for me. That's, that's, <laughs> amen, Tim sucks at being God. Is this the gospel? No! This is the spirit of error or the spirit of the Antichrist. And this is why we can't just focus on whatever feels good or whatever someone says is true, even if they really believe it. But as John points out, we must test the spirits, not with a Ouija board, not just assuming we can, you know, have these ideas of how we should test it based on earthly things. When do we know it's the spirit and the teaching of God? When the spiritual teaching confesses that Jesus is the Christ and that he came in the flesh and he never lost or was without his divine nature. So the spiritual teaching, if you will, that acknowledges Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, that's from God. But what about the ones who don't acknowledge that? Well, I'm glad you asked, thank you, because John continues in verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. All right, well, <laughs> that escalated quickly, and it seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? Like, the word antichrist is like the thing that people on corners scream, right? You're the, the, the spirit of the antichrist. And all. But what John is pointing out is simply that those that don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe that he's the Christ, they've bought into the teaching of the antichrist. That, and... It's not what John is saying, is saying that anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is the Antichrist, it's just they bought into the teaching of the Antichrist. To not acknowledge or to teach that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that Jesus is not the Christ, is the spirit and the teaching of the Antichrist. This is how you know it is not from God. To lower Jesus' supremacy, to misinterpret his existence, to treat Jesus as anything other than the Christ, anything other than the Messiah, is subtly what the teaching of the Antichrist is. Have I kicked this horse enough? No? Okay, let's keep going. See, it can be subtle. Jesus can be liked. He can be praised. But perhaps instead of treating him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega and the Messiah and the Christ, cults and false prophets lower his importance to get people to like Jesus maybe or appreciate Jesus's example but not actually follow him and what he says and John doesn't say that this is a difference of opinion he says that the spirit of the antichrist just think of that term antichrist not anti-Jesus the individual but anti that Jesus is the Christ and there lies the really big problem in the world today. It's the subtle distraction 
that spiritual things aren't necessarily gospel things. That being spiritual, even if it seems Christian-ish or Christian-adjacent, does not actually make any difference in the kingdom of God. Oh, did you hear that Christian song in Pete's? I don't care. Songs don't have souls. The Spirit of God does not make you fond of peripheral things about Jesus. The Spirit of God is about making known that Jesus is the Christ. And to not teach that, or to not celebrate that, to not focus on that eternal truth, you might as well be another religion or an atheist. Because Jesus being a good person and a great teacher does nothing for you in the kingdom of God other than making you completely miss the majesty and the beauty of our Messiah. So with that, I'm going to show you a little bit of a parody on how subtle it can be for us to miss the point of Jesus being the Christ. If you would play, said Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, oh, that's great. Oh. Uh. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 I just want to say, play ball, right? Like, this scene, it's funny, but it's actually kind of true. Like, this isn't how everyone prays for a meal, but this is mankind's subtle problem. We make good things into God. We make things that seem righteous our righteousness, when only Jesus is our righteousness. We make good things into our gods when God is about making known that Jesus is the Christ. And John warns that this isn't something that will happen later when he is writing this. This is already happening, and the subtle sleight of hand is a work of the Spirit that is not from God and is rather anti-Christ. But what does the believer have to assure them that they actually are about Jesus being the Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked again. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, remember you were dear friends and you're also dear children. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So John does not point to what someone does, but rather whose they are and who is residing in them. And the Spirit of God always beats the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of the Antichrist. And the Spirit is greater, more important, more knowledgeable, more true than anything that this world has to offer Elon Musk. And John doesn't tell you this to get you to believe really hard. 
you talked about Ralph Waldo Emerson, I talk about Elon Musk, you know. He doesn't tell you this to get you to believe really hard. Oh, I just have to believe harder. That isn't faith. He tells you to believe this because it's true. Ray Steadman, the pastor from Palo Alto back in the 70s, said it this way, faith is not a way of convincing yourself that something is true when you know it is not, as some define it, but faith is believing something that is true. And when we believe that the Spirit of God is greater and is inside of us, we do not have to look to anything apart from Christ to justify us. Nor do we have to assume that the Word of God is incomplete or outdated on any subject matter. Verse 5. They, John says, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. John again contrasting those with the Spirit of God and those with the Spirit of the Antichrist or really the Spirit of the world or really the Spirit of anything else but God says that they, the false prophets, the teachers of the Antichrist, the world speak from the viewpoint and the agenda of the world. And guess what? The world listens to them. They are speaking their language. They are saying what their itching ears want to hear. And now the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, an apostle, states something that I have heard individual Christians misinterpret, misquote, and frankly misunderstand for as long as I have been a Christian. Verse 6, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We are from God, John says. That's a bold statement, don't you think? Isn't it? And here is how it reads or is misinterpreted. We, you, me, we have the monopoly on the correct interpretation of Scripture. And so like Patrick Swayze says in the wonderful coming-of-age film, Roadhouse, it's either my way or the highway. So believe it or you're out. And that is not what John is pointing out at all. He has been building the case for how a spirit is tested, how you can know if the spiritual teaching is from God. Does the teaching make Jesus the Christ? Or is it about something less eternal? So why is this so important? First off, I'd contend because for whatever reason, we as Christians don't really seem to emphasize Jesus' messiahship anymore. We'd prefer to point out his good features, like we want to date Jesus. But we don't want to date Jesus. And we don't want to tell people all the good things about Jesus without actually telling people that he is the Christ. And second, this one's a bit more obvious based on the text and what we've been studying, but I want to make this as big a deal as I can. Because I don't want us to forget this one. Because everything of this world, everything attempts to get us to be distracted from this, to misinterpret this, or to simply ignore this. If anything but Jesus as the Christ is what the Antichrist attempts to mislead us with, so it's either he's the Christ or he's not, it's probably easier to perverse the truth than to convince people that the resurrection didn't happen. All right, so maybe that's a bit confusing to you, but let me explain to you why this is important. Historically, we have an event that took place 2,000 years ago 
that changed the course of history so much that the world has never been the same. Dead people have come to life spiritually because of belief in this man who claimed he was God that died and then physically rose from the dead. And there were witnesses. And there were cover-up stories in real time. There were people around at the time that had their understanding of life and death changed so drastically that they were unwilling to stay quiet from proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Even after threats of violence, even after the point of being told they were going to be killed, they would not stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. So why don't more people believe this? Why don't more people understand this? Why does it seem so many people have a problem with Christianity? Well, it's probably because the gospel that we emphasize has more to do with what we get or what we have to do, and it de-emphasizes believing that Jesus is the Christ. We focus on the wrong thing. We emphasize the gifts rather than the gift giver. We emphasize doing good over grace. We pat ourselves on the back for how religious we are when we actually look more like the Pharisees in the scriptures than we do Jesus' followers. But if the resurrection happened, church, if Jesus actually took on sin by dying on a cross and he didn't stay dead, if that happened, well, that's more powerful and more important and more compelling and more obvious than Jesus. It's the most obvious thing that points that Jesus actually is the Christ. He wasn't just a revolutionary teacher or someone who people said performed some miracles that they assumed were just magic tricks. Church of the Valley Guess, friends, random person on podcast, Jesus is the Christ. And all of scripture, all of history, all of the future point to this fact. Not as a historical figure, not as a religious entity, but everything points to the one who is the Christ and his name is Jesus. Look at how the Holy Spirit points everything to the Christ being Jesus through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, verse 18, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus being the Christ means that Jesus is everything for the believer. Nothing more, nothing less. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. And that is who we exalt. This is why some people call this church a gospel church or a Jesus church or a grace church. All of those things mean that we attempt to emphasize we are all about Jesus. 
crucified, resurrected, exalted, and interceding on behalf of sinners who know they are in need of grace. And how is any of this possible for you and I to believe, let alone understand? It's not because we are good at preaching. It's not because we're so good at persuasion. It's because God in his grace gave us another gift that I don't want to continue to take for granted. Jesus says in John 15, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You want to know if it's the spirit of God? He testifies about Jesus. And you also, my disciples, you must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Malik, thank you for testifying of what God has done in your life last week. Thank you to every person in this church that makes things about Jesus in your sphere of influence, because people need to hear how great he is. You can know if something is of the Spirit of God because the Spirit of truth, the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit resides in those who have trusted this message of the gospel, who have trusted this person, the person and work of Jesus. And he testifies about Jesus. And we too can testify about Jesus, not because it earns us anything. You don't get stars in heaven. And not because it secures our salvation. Both of those things are completely done in Jesus. But because the world is full of false teaching, the teaching of the Antichrist that says that Jesus is a good person but refuses to bow down to him as Messiah. So worship team, come on up. I have one question for you, church. What are you going to do differently? What are you going to do differently hearing this text, these six verses? What are you going to do differently? You've heard the truth this morning from the word of God written by the spirit of God revealing the son of God. So what will you do with this truth going forward? Let me tell you what you shouldn't do. Ignore it. Because as we've said before, what happens constantly is we hear the truth of God over and over and we ignore it, we stiff arm it, we do nothing with it, and then our heart becomes just a little harder towards the truth of God to the point where our hearts get so hard that we want nothing to do with this Lord that we claimed we follow. So what are you going to do differently? What are you going to do with this good news today? Jesus says that the Spirit testifies about him and his disciples too should testify about him. It is Christmas season, church. There's two empty spaces on the bingo card, Christmas Eve and Easter. Those are the two times you can be like, hey, you want to go with me to church? This year, we're not doing a Sunday evening service because we didn't want to put everyone who was serving out. Plus, you know what? It lands on a Sunday, so we're doing Sunday morning. And, and I, I don't know if you know this, but on Christmas Eve, we're going to preach the gospel. Crazy, right? But this is a time where people are a little bit more open to hearing about Jesus, but not eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. This is a time where we tell people that Jesus is the Christ, and we can testify to what God has done in our own lives. So I'm going to leave you with that question. The worship team is going to lead us in two songs. 
I hope that you, as you think about the time of takeaways, would think about what could I do differently? What could I testify before my peers that I am willing to do differently based on the truth that I heard this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's true. And God, I thank you that when I read your text and I read with the filter of the good news that Jesus died in my place, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he's coming back one day, God. When I read through the understanding, it's not about me and it's not about you, your word makes so much more sense. And so God, forgive me when I make it about me. Forgive us when we make it about us. Lord, would we be a community, would we be individuals, would we be brothers and sisters and children of God that point everything back to the fact that Jesus, you are the Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.